Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Man, you guys can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Horizon West Church. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Good morning. Um, man, we are celebrating today. Uh, many of you know that over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been uh, emphasizing what we're calling build with us. It's the idea that we are a church of participants, people that serve, people that jump in. And so uh, we've been inviting you to build with us what God is doing here at Horizon West Church. And over the last two Sundays, we've had over 30 people commit to serving on a team here on Sunday mornings. Would y'all help me celebrate? That is exciting. And if you've not yet found your place, maybe you just came this week or you haven't been in a while and you missed that opportunity, uh, we still have that display up in the lobby. We've got folks who can help you find a place to serve. In fact, you're going to see tags with very specific opportunities in kids, in music, in tech, in guest services, in set up and tear down team, and set up and tear down team, and set up and tear down team. Not all opportunities are created equal, no. Um, But we actually have identified those that are our greatest need with a red dot. Now what I'm going to tell you is, if you hate kids, don't take a kid's tag, even if it has a red dot. We don't want you back there, okay? Um, But if those red dots are something you go, you know what, I I could see doing that. I think God could use me there. We'd love to highlight those. We're also grateful for any tag that you take and the team back there can help you get some information down and and let us know so we can follow up with you. We believe that when we engage in serving, it it is a way of activating our faith. And so we highly encourage that and we celebrate what God is doing there. All right, so we're going to spend the next several weeks and perhaps months in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. Okay? I say a book of the Bible, but actually you probably know, or some of you do at least, that it's not a book originally. It's a letter. It's one of three letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church at Corinth. Two of those letters have survived and are in the New Testament of our Bibles. Um, We don't know what happened to the other one. I'm sure somebody smarter than me can figure out where it went, but we do have these two letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. And what we're going to do is, even as we stay in the book or letter of 1 Corinthians for a good chunk of this year, We're also going to break it up into kind of series along the way that are going to illuminate some of the specific issues that Paul is addressing with the Corinthian church. Cool? Okay. So I want to begin uh, with some context. We're going to look at how the church of Corinth came to be a church. And then I want to show you who the people of Corinth were. So how it came to be. And then who was it that made up this church called the Corinthian church? First thing you need to know is that Corinth was a city much like our own. We have a modern picture of the the modern city of Corinth and what it looks like. Utterly beautiful. Has anybody ever been to Corinth that's in the room? It's in Greece. Anybody been to, let me say this, anybody been to Greece? Okay, about the same as the first service, a handful. Beautiful area and much like it is today, Corinth was a beautiful and significant city back in ancient times. In fact, Probably outside of the city of Athens, Corinth would have been the most influential city in the entire nation of Greece, okay? And some of the things that make it similar to our context living here in central Florida are, it was a large and diverse population. In their case, it was largely Greeks, 
Jews and Romans, but there was a ton of people from various backgrounds and nationalities that all called Corinth home. Sound familiar? Not only that, but it was a heavily traveled area. Okay, people came in for business. They came in for events. They came in because it was a religious center. We'll talk about that in a second. But it was a place that had a lot of traffic come in and out of it. Again, sound familiar? We live in one of the most heavily traveled regions of the entire world. And that's how Corinth was. It was also culturally influential. I mentioned that as well. And then it was spiritually lost. Now, some people would push back on that about Horizon West, say, well, Central Florida isn't like that. I mean, this is, after all, part of the Bible Belt. But did you know that Central Florida is the seventh most de-churched area in the entire United States? That's according to Barna Research, seventh most de-churched area. These are people that for some part of their journey were invested in a local church. Maybe they were serving, they were leading or at least attending regularly. Some of them might have been on staff at a church, but for one reason or another, because of hurt, hypocrisy, distractions, doubts, whatever it might be, they made, in most cases, a very quiet exodus and said, I'm not doing church anymore. That's where we live. So whereas Corinth was kind of a pre-Christian city before the gospel got there, we live in a largely and increasingly post-Christian society, do we not? So many of the challenges the Corinthian believers had of integrating their faith into a culture that was spiritually lost, guess what? We're facing the same challenges. In Corinth, at the very center of the city, there was a temple that was devoted to the goddess Artemis. The the two uh, most uh, worshipped gods in the city of Corinth were the twin gods, so to speak, of Artemis and Apollo, the female and male deities. Artemis was the goddess of fertility, and so the temple that sat in the the middle of the city of Corinth was used for the people of Corinth to perform their ritual acts of worship to a god of fertility. Am I being both careful and clear when I say that? Let Let me put it this way. The things that were happening at the temple of Artemis will not be happening in Horizon West Church, okay? We got that? And the reason you need to know that is because that colors the entire letter. This this approach to religious ritual was alive and well in Corinth, and it's alive and well here in Horizon West too. So what Paul does is he goes and he plants a church there. Now many of the things that made uh, Corinth an attractive city in which to plant a church are also true, again, of Horizon West, right? When you think about the demographics, you think about all these things, Paul looked at Corinth and said, man, if the gospel could take roots in the city of Corinth, it changed the world. And I believe that if the gospel can take roots in a place called Horizon West, West Orange County, Central Florida, from here, we can change the world. Do you believe that? So in about AD 50, the Apostle Paul moves to the city of Corinth and he spends 18 months there planting a church. Now, this is one of the longest places that Paul ever stayed that wasn't called a prison, okay? He stayed longer in some prisons, but by his choice and design, he stayed 18 months in the city of Corinth, wrote three letters to them, and in those letters, he primarily is addressing two issues. Now, this is the 30,000-foot view. Paul's going to drill down into the specific applications of all of these issues, but all of it comes back to one of two things. A, the decaying influences from the outside. Uh, Somebody said it this way, there was a church in Corinth, but there was a whole lot of Corinth in the church. 
okay? There were decaying influences and those were creeping into the church and corrupting what God was doing there. And the other issue Paul's going to come back over and over again to are divisive influences on the inside. People trying to split hairs, people trying to choose tribes and camps. Again, if you've been around church a while, you know that's a common theme, right? There are people that can creep in. They're not there to worship with us. They're not there to grow with us. They're not there to serve with us. They want to take control. They want to divide. And so Paul's going to come back again and again to these two issues. I might illustrate it this way. Most mornings, I start with a cup of coffee. Some of y'all are like, that's crazy. You don't start every morning with coffee? Like, that's as many of you. But most mornings I do, and it's the one thing that our children love doing for me and Nikki. And I might say there's not a lot that they love doing for us, but they do enjoy making our coffee. They'll fight over it. We use K-cups, right? I want to make his coffee. I'm going to make her. And so this is what they do. And there's two ways for my coffee to go bad. One is if it doesn't get in the right, you know, thermos or whatever, uh, which I don't even know what it is. What's the big thing now? There's a Stanley cups or something. I thought that was a hockey thing, but regardless, um, if it doesn't go in the right thing, what happens? It starts to become like its environment. It becomes lukewarm, right? If it sits out long enough. This is the second law of thermodynamics, scientifically. It's also a biblical law. Jesus said to a church in Revelation, I wish you were piping hot like a good cup of coffee. I'm even okay with a cold cup of coffee, right? Anybody get those? But man, y'all are lukewarm. And what, what, what happens when a cup of coffee becomes lukewarm is the decaying influences of the environment make it like it. But there is a second way that my coffee can go bad, and that is if any of my kids put my wife's sugar-free Italian sweet cream creamer in it. It is nasty. And much like Jesus said about the church in Revelation, I want to spit it out of my mouth. It's not what I drink. It corrupts it from the inside. It makes it undrinkable to me, not to her, but to me. So these are the two issues. The decaying influences of the environment, the divisive influences of the inside, and Paul's going to come back again and again to these issues. But here's what's true of the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth needed something that only a church in Corinth could give it. And Horizon West and West Orange County needs something that only a church in this area can give it. And I am not naive enough nor arrogant enough to believe that we are the solution. But between us and Life Church and The Grove and Harvest Ministries and uh, Crossroads Impact and Mosaic and LifeBridge, together we can do it. And the church in our area can begin to turn the tide and change the world around us. This was Paul's vision for the church in Corinth. So go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to jump right into the letter. Uh, If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can follow. We'll also have it on the wall uh, behind me. But I want to read for you the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the names that gets dropped in here in the first verse is the name Sosthenes. Um, Socrates loves this because he thinks it sounds like his name, but it has nothing to do with that. But Sosthenes was an individual that somehow was helping Paul craft the letter of 1 Corinthians. We don't know if he was a co-author of the letter 
or if he's simply writing down what Paul is saying, probably the latter, but Sosthenes is involved. And so what I want you to do is mentally place an asterisk by Sosthenes' name because he's got a really cool story. We hardly know anything about him, but we do know a little bit. And so we're going to return to that at the end of the message. He says, I'm writing with my brother Sosthenes. And what Paul's going to immediately do in this letter is he's going to affirm the identity of the Corinthian believers. He says, you are both called by God and you're being sanctified in Christ. This helps us to correct a pervasive, but I believe wrong view of the Corinthian church. And if you've been around church as much and you've heard sermons preached, you probably know most guys go, man, the Corinthian church was a red hot mess. They were like the lost cause. They they weren't the Philippians or the Ephesians where Paul's like, man, you guys are doing great. He's like, you're being knuckleheads. That's, That's the version that I like of of that passage. It's your knuckleheads, right? Like you're not doing things the right way. And so we get this idea that all the Corinthian church was, was a dumpster fire. But I would push back and say, that's not the case. Paul begins by saying, you're a church that's both called and sanctified. In fact, let me just ask it this way. Would Paul invest 18 months and three letters into a church that he thought was a lost cause? See, the Corinthians were not a lost cause. What Paul understood was the potential of the Corinthian church if they could navigate through some of these sticky issues that they were dealing with in the church, they could erupt and change the world. He wrote to them because he believed in what God could do in and through them. And he goes even further than that. Continue with me at verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So having gotten the context for the church of Corinth and and what Paul's doing in writing to them, I want to this morning spend the balance of our time looking at four affirmations that come out of the verses we just read. By the way, these affirmations are not only true of the believers in Corinth, they're true of every believer who has ever lived and they're true of every church who has ever existed, if it is a uh, gospel-believing church. And so what I'm going to do in these affirmations is I'm not going to say the Corinthians were A, B, C, and D. I'm going to say we are. Because what's true of them is also true of us. And here's the first affirmation that Paul's going to give them. We are redeemed. We are redeemed. He refers to the grace of God that was given them. Last week, Socrates, our worship leader, uh, preached. And in his sermon, he sang a song. And so what I'm going to do, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not singing. Um, I actually want to tell you a quick story about this guitar. Uh, This was a guitar that was given to me by by my brother when I was 15. He actually won it in a contest with Sam Ash Music, and he had a guitar, so he graciously gave it to me. Ben, you're my favorite. Thank you for doing that. Um, And so that was when I was 15 years old. This is the guitar that was around my neck when I proposed to my wife, Nikki. Oh, that was so sweet. The collective awe. I didn't get that. You guys are a better service than the earlier one. Um, And uh, so we're in St. Augustine. Um, Because I can, I'm going to tell you a little bit more of the story than I told them and because you were kind to me. Um, 
so my wife's parents uh, were married at the huge cross in St. Augustine. You know what I'm talking about? Um, they kind of eloped and did a thing there. And so uh, within about a week of their 25th anniversary, I had the idea to take my wife to that cross and propose to her there. Got her dad's permission. Guys, you still got to do that. Don't let that, don't let that not be a thing. Got her dad's blessing. And um, so we park at the Dairy Queen. I don't even think it's there anymore. But parked and... The whole, the whole time, I was like, why did you bring a guitar? <laughs> you know, I'm like, just go with it, you know? And so I get the guitar out, and we start walking. And she's holding my hand, and I come to find out later that everything in her is going, he's not proposing. Don't tell yourself he's proposing. Like, she didn't want to get her hopes up, right? It's not that she didn't want me to, I hope, but she just didn't want to get her hopes up. <laughs> and so I wrote her this beautiful song that I had written, and, uh, and then I said, you know, will you marry me? It was, it was awesome. And by the way, she said yes, which was, which was exciting. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm not done with the story. That wasn't even the story. So got this guitar when I was 15. When I was in college, this guitar was stolen from me. You guys are great, man. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, it was stolen from me by a, a good, a close friend of mine who unfortunately was on drugs. And so he pawned it for drug money. And because I live in a small town and there's only like one place you can do that, when his parents figured out what happened, they went to the pawn shop and they bought it back and they gave it to me. And this was obviously like way before I proposed to my wife. So this guitar has a really interesting story, right? And when Paul says of the Corinthians, you've been redeemed. When we say about ourselves as believers in Jesus, we've been redeemed. What we're affirming as true is that we were made for God. We were stolen from God, albeit we were happy to be so, right? We were willing participants in that. And now we've been returned to God, much like this guitar. That, that's what redemption means. We have been redeemed, and it's been by the blood of Jesus. This was not a pawn shop transaction. This wasn't me going and redeeming it for myself. Much like someone else had to redeem the guitar for me, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's, it's why Jesus on the cross, you remember when he's stretched out on the cross, one of the very last things he says is, it is finished. Greek, it's tetelestai. He's like, it's done. If you've ever paid off a student loan or a car note or a mortgage, man, that last payment, like it's done. There's nothing left. And when Jesus gave up his life, he said, it's finished. The transaction's complete. I have redeemed those who will believe. And when that happened, the title transferred. The bank can't come and get your house once you have the mortgage, Right? And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands, John 10, when you've been redeemed by Jesus. Paul begins by saying, Corinthians, this is what's true of you. You are redeemed because of Jesus. And this is a beautiful thing because most, if not all other religions, are built on a completely other premise. It goes something like this. If I do enough good things, then I get to be with God. But man, if Tuesday was really hard man, maybe God doesn't, you know, have me anymore. So I got I to work my way back. And, and the result of that way of thinking is deep uncertainty in the human heart. Most people throughout our world go, man, when I die, I hope I get to go to heaven. But the redeemed say, when I die, I know I'll be in the presence of God because I didn't do it. It was done for me. It is finished. 
So the first point that Paul's going to make is that we are redeemed. When a person entrusts their life to Jesus, that person is redeemed from the power of sin, praise God, and returned to their original condition at home with God. Other terms you might hear for this are salvation, forgiveness of sins, justification. All of that means the same thing. We've been redeemed. And so what Paul does is before he drills down into the many specific issues that exist in the church of Corinth, he says, don't forget your identity, you are redeemed. Listen, the Corinthian church had 99 problems, but redemption wasn't one, okay? That, that was not an issue they had to grapple with. Paul knew in their case and on their behalf, they're redeemed. And if the Corinthians of all people could be confident they were redeemed, I can tell you with confidence, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you belong to the Father. Number two, we are enriched. We are enriched. Paul says that in every way you are enriched, or in other words, you've literally been made rich. In fact, what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 1, another letter to another church in Greece, is he makes the connection between redemption and enrichment. He does it in this way. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's what we were just talking about. And he says, and that's according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and all insight. I love that word lavish. We don't use that a lot, but it basically means like God just heaped on us the riches of his grace. I went to Chipotle last night um, in Winter Garden Village and I waited in line for a long time. Um, they were doing a great job, not knocking them, but it just took a while. And I'm getting my steak burrito that I've gotten a thousand times and I get it the same way. And so the last three words that I say are cheese, guac, and lettuce, you know, like, thank you, ma'am. Like, that's it. Cheese, guac, lettuce. And I look down and the guac bowl has a lid on it. And my heart rate starts like, and I say to the girl, are you guys out of guac? And she says, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you should have told me that when I was at the front of the line because I would have left. I, I literally, I, I kid you not when I say this, I'm like, there should be a law. They need to pass a law that like warning, we're out of guacamole because that's why I go. And I don't want the person to like measure it out and, and scrape it and give me just enough. Like I want them to lavish it on the burrito, right? Now, one thing I believe about all of you is you probably all would affirm the riches of God. A lot of us that grew up in church, we say, man, God has the cattle on a thousand hills, right? But here's the problem. You know God is rich. You think he's stingy. He's just like measuring it, doling it. Here's a, here's a little bit of grace. I'm gonna give you a little bit of goodness, but I don't want your head to swell. I'm not gonna give you the whole thing. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, friends, who of you, if your friend asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Like, nah, I wouldn't do that. What about if he asks for bread? You give him a stone? Like, no, no, no. He says, friends, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, will not much more my Father in heaven richly bless you with all things? John says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we get the privilege of being called children of God. This idea was so prominent in the mind of the Apostle Paul that it shows up 14 times in his letters. The riches of God, the riches of his grace, the riches of his mercy. And you know why I think that is? 
Because Paul's entire life, he believed God was rich, but stingy. Well, Paul, you kept the law pretty well today, so here's a little bit. Oh, Paul, you didn't do good today, so I'm taking it back. And one day, Paul's on a road to a place called Damascus, and Jesus shows up. And Paul couldn't get over the fact that in spite of his sin, his rebellion, the fact that he persecuted the church, God said, Paul, not only am I going to save you, I'm backing the truck up, and I'm going to dump the riches of my grace on you. To the point where in Romans 11.33, Paul stops in the middle of a letter. He's, he's writing Romans. It's the most important. It's like the, the constitution of the Bible. It's like the declaration of independence. Like, like he's writing Romans, and he just stops and goes, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Because Paul had learned that God is not only a God who is rich, but a God who is rich in mercy to him and to us. In fact, in one place, Paul refers to our inheritance as saints. Now, all of you know what inheritance is. An inheritance is if you're the beneficiary of somebody else's will, then when they pass away, you get a portion of their resources. Now, if you're an only child, you get all of it, presumably. I have three kids, so they'll each get about $50 when I die. But the good news is, though God has millions of children in faith, he doesn't divide it up. We all get 100%. We all get it as if we are the only ones receiving it. And like Paul, let us just revel in the goodness of the fact that we've been enriched by Jesus. We didn't deserve that. God freely gave it to us. I got preaching and lost my notes again. Hang on. Let me say one more thing before we move on. So we are redeemed, we are enriched. I've lived in Horizon West for a little over two years. I've been pastoring Horizon West Church for about four and a half years. And one thing that I've observed, uh, observed about the people of Horizon West, and they're great and I love them, uh, but if there is a God of our area, it goes by the name of money. Now we're not old money, that lives in Windermere and Winter Park, but... but it's a lot of people that are around my age in life. And we didn't get an inheritance. We built the business. We saved the money. We bought the house. We're trying to make good. And here's why. And it's a really good reason. We want to give our children a better what? A better life than we had. That's a good thing. The problem is there's so many people, men and women, in Horizon West, Windermere, Winter Garden, Ocoee, Claremont, Oakland, you name it. And they're pursuing giving their children material wealth at the cost of the spiritual riches of God. Guys go, well, I have to work 70 hours a week. My kids need to be in after-school activities. They need to play sports. We need to take trips. We need, we need to have the experiences that, that I never got to have. I jokingly said my children will each get $50. I hope they get a little more than that. But it's probably not going to be a lot. Instead, what I hope my children can do when I'm dead and gone, which I'll be living in heaven, so I'll be fine. I didn't get the awe then, but that's okay. <laughs> I hope they go, man, my dad wasn't perfect. That's going to be the easy part for them to say. But he loved God. He loved us. He taught us to pray. He taught us the importance of gathering with believers every week. He taught us that on Christmas morning, 
It's not just about going and performing his job, but it's about sometimes staying home and opening gifts with the kids and reminding them that the best gift they've ever received has already come and his name is Jesus. I want to give my kids a spiritual inheritance. Guys, where's your focus? You can amass all the material wealth in the world, give them all the privileges of this life, and what Jesus said could be true of you. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And Paul's going to bring us back again and again. When we talk prosperity, we don't preach like the guys on TV. Man, God wants to give you rich things and Mercedes and bigger houses. No, no, no. Prosperity in the kingdom is spiritual riches of character of worship, of faith. And so he brings us back there. Yeah, it's going to be one o'clock when we get out of here. I'm sorry, you guys. You good? We're halfway through. It's, it's going to be before one, I promise. All right. So if what uh, we've been talking about primarily has been what God has done for us, he's enriched us so we can have the enjoyment of his goodness in life, Paul's going to kind of turn the page. He wants to talk now about what God has done in us for the good of others. And the third affirmation he's going to make is that we are equipped we are equipped. Hurricane Ian came in uh, at the end of September. And if you were here at the time, I know most of you were, you remember how that kind of caught us off guard, right? Like I was supposed to be in Texas that weekend. And I mean, two days before my trip, I'm like, no, no, it's good. It's like out in the ocean somewhere. It's like 20 miles an hour. We're fine. And then Ian's like, nope, going this way. Gonna, gonna wipe out Central Florida. That's what we're gonna do. And so everything's like scrambling and that's all going on. Well, we had had some neighbors that had just moved in across the street. And again, we didn't think anything bad was coming. So they went on a cruise to the Bahamas. And we had like literally just met them. And they're calling and like, hey, can you cut the screens off of our back porch so that the, 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 the thing doesn't blow away? And we're like, I'm like, man, people are going to think we're, gonna break, we're breaking in. I don't hardly know these people's names. Like, how am I going to explain that? No, officer, we're just, they asked us to cut their screens off, right? Like, not suspicious at all. So we do all our stuff, you know, at their house and at our house. And then um, and my wife gets a call from, from the woman across the street, like at like nine o'clock that night. She says, hey, our alarm is going off at the house. They had the, you know, on the, on the phone, so they got the, the notification. So my wife was like, put on pants and like go across the street and I have to figure out what's going on. And so it's the middle of a hurricane. I'm running across the street. They had given us the code. So I get in, I'm listening and I hear like a you know that sound? And I'm like, okay, it's, it's, something's open. I go up the stairs, I hear it. And in their loft area, the window has blown down like this, but it didn't break. And it had just happened. So it's not really wet. It's just kind of windy. And so I'm scrambling, like, what do I do? And so I, I figure out, I'm going to, I'm going to put the window back up and then I'm going to move the couch and kind of push it. Cause I'm, I'm muscular and I can do that. And so I push, <laughs> I <laughs> That's fair. Thank you. Amy, I know where you live. Yeah, just... So I pushed the couch against the window, and y'all, it, it worked. It's like, man, this is ingenious. And, and it held. And so I'm like, okay, we're good. It kind of towels, you know, get the area up. I'm getting to know these people's house far better than I know them at this point. And so we get it all taken care of. I go back home. We sleep through the hurricane. It's bad, but it's not, not, you know, terrible. And so the next morning, I'm like, I need to go over and make sure the couch held. So I get over there and the couch held. It didn't, the window didn't reopen. But I heard, again, the shh. I'm like, oh no. 
And so I make my way into the, the little girl's bedroom and another window, but this time it has shattered and the alarm didn't go off. And there is standing water all over the bedroom, all over the dresser, the bed, the mattress, everything is soaked and ruined. And so I again go into scrambling mode. Like I run into the garage and I find this, I'm getting intimately acquainted with this home and I, and I find this massive piece of plywood and I start lugging it upstairs because again, muscles. And I, and I get it all the way up there and then Nikki has come over and she has brought like my toy drill gun that I had at the time. I told you guys about a couple weeks ago. Man, we can't get this thing in. It's like, like it's terrible, you know, it's painful. And so I'm like, I'm like holding the plywood against the window and I'm bravehearting it on that piece of plywood. And the wind is like blowing and I'm literally like doing this. Nikki took a turn doing it. And then she has a great idea. She's like, our neighbor is far handier than you. So call him. This is another neighbor. And so Stephen comes over and Stephen's got every tool imaginable. Stephen comes upstairs and goes, zzz, 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 and he's done. <laughs> and I tell you that story just because it's a good story. No, I'm just kidding. I, I tell you that story because it's a terrible thing to find yourself in a situation for which you were not equipped. You didn't have the tools. You didn't have the resources. You didn't have the knowledge to know what to do, and you're scrambling to try to figure it out. And, and Paul says to the Corinthians, friends, you've been equipped. In fact, he says, you have every spiritual gift. Now remember, Paul's writing not to a person, but to people. He's writing to a church. So while it would be wonderful for all of us to sing like Socrates or to manage like Marcy, what Paul's actually saying is, you individual don't have every spiritual gift, but you as a church have a beautiful tapestry of everything you need to transform the world around you in a place called Corinth. And we have everything we need in this church, spiritually equipped by God, to transform the world around us. There are people in this church exercising gifts of leadership in and over massive corporations. There are people in this church exercising gifts of hospitality in service industry jobs all over Central Florida. Gifts of teaching are being lived out in classrooms public and private, throughout our area. Gifts of compassion are being lived out in foster and adoption ministries and nonprofit work. Each of us has our own unique gifts. And if that wasn't enough, every Sunday morning, those gifts come into our church in the bodies and minds of our people to do things that it could only do when we allow God to use our gifts to serve the church. I've got a guy that, Greg, he's like every time, he brings me in, John sometimes too, Pastor, you need more water? You bring it, boom. Greg's not going to be up here preaching. I don't think Greg wants that opportunity. No. Okay, that's not his gift. His gift is serving. And he does it exceptionally well. And maybe your gift is mercy, or your gift is faith, or your gift is compassion. Guess what? We need your gift. Because we are not fully equipped as a church until you are here and using your gifts to do one of two things to strengthen the body of Christ, believers, or to bring in those who are outside of the fellowship. That's the function and the purpose of spiritual gifts. Later in the letter to Corinthians, Paul's going to devote an entire three chapters to spiritual gifts. So we're going to pin it right there, and we're going to move on, and we've been equipped. That's what you need to know. We'll come back to that later on. 
Fourth and final, so I can get you out of here. Fourth and final affirmation Paul's going to make in these verses is that we are sustained. Now, I believe this is where the rubber meets the road in our hearts and minds. Because as I was even preparing this message, I went, we're redeemed, check. I fully believe that. I have full confidence in the blood of Jesus being sufficient for me. We're enriched. I believe that. I have a life that goes beyond anything I could have asked or imagined and far beyond anything I deserve. I feel like a wealthy man because of the riches of God at work in my soul and in my life. I'm equipped. I I believe that. I believe God's given me exactly what I need to do the work he's called me to do. Not perfectly, but I'm equipped to do what he's called me to do. You are as well. And then I come to this last affirmation. We are sustained. And I go, man, do I believe that? Do I, do I believe that, that God is going to sustain me to the end? Because I'm, I'm being perfectly honest. There have been points in my life and my spiritual journey where I have deeply questioned that reality. I go, man, this, this particular sin is so stubborn, I don't think I'm ever going to overcome it. I don't think I can ever be free of this. Uh, marriage is hard. Can, can I be a, a faithful and a good husband for decade after decade? Can, can I, I have doubts. I have struggles. Man, I read things. I go, God, how is that true? Can I believe what I should believe to the end of my life? And I put this weight on my shoulders. And the darkest seasons in my life have been when I've questioned the outcome. Many of us grew up with books that were called Choose Your Own Adventure. Do you remember those? And they were so cool. And you get to like page 38, and you could decide what the characters in the book do. Do they go into the forest, or do they cross the river, and you turn to page 72 or 48, and the whole story changes. The good news this morning is we aren't choosing our own adventure. God has already written the ending for us. The outcome is already determined. And here's why. Paul embeds it right there in verse 8. He says, because God is faithful. And what happens when I question the outcome of my own story is not a doubting of my own strength. I'm not putting anything in that anyway. What I'm really doing is doubting the faithfulness of God. And Paul says, church, you don't need to doubt that. The fact that God will sustain you means that what is true of you today will be true of you on the last day. He's got you. Paul said it another way to the church at Philippi when he said, I am saying this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The outcome is not in question. We are sustained, or the King James Version in the NASB says, we are confirmed in Christ. It's not a doubt. It's not in question. We don't have to wrestle with that. It is sealed. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. If Paul could be confident in the sustaining work of God in the church of Corinth, you can be confident if you've put your trust in Jesus, that God will sustain you and he will sustain us to the end. I told you I was going to return to Sosthenes. Let me do that now. Sosthenes is this co-writer or perhaps the amanuensis, the person who wrote down what Paul was saying. And I bring his story back for a very particular reason. We don't know a lot about Sosthenes, but we do know something. And it goes back to Acts chapter 18, which tells the story of how Paul planted the church that was the Corinthian church. And what we learn in Acts chapter 18 is that when Paul moved to the city of Corinth, he moved in with a man named Titus Justus or Titius Justus. And it just so happened 
that this individual lived next door to the Jewish synagogue in Corinth. Now, do you think it was a coincidence that Paul chose to live there? I'm thinking not. Because scripture tells us that day after day, Paul would go into the Jewish synagogue and argue to try to believe or try to lead them to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And the synagogue ruler, we learn in Acts chapter 18, was a man named Crispus. And Crispus came to faith in Jesus through the witness of Paul. Now, what you need to know about the reality of that time is if you were the ruler of the Jewish synagogue and came to faith in Jesus, it meant that you were no longer the ruler of the Jewish synagogue, right? And so Crispus is out. And all of a sudden, this this riot takes place after Paul preaches. I mean, it's crazy. Can you imagine people just like throwing stuff at me? I mean, Amy took a shot, but that wasn't a big deal, right? Like, Like, can you imagine like, Paul's literally starting riots. And so this riot breaks out in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And it says that they dragged away the ruler of the Jewish synagogue. It's not Crispus anymore, right? Because now he's on Paul's team. And it says that they dragged out the ruler of the Jewish synagogue, a man named Sosthenes. Which means that first Crispus came to faith in Jesus and became a follower of Christ and a companion of Paul. And then his replacement, Sosthenes, became a follower of Jesus and a companion of Paul. And God was positioning the Apostle Paul in a place and a time for people like Crispus and Sosthenes to have their lives changed, saved, transformed by the power of the gospel taking root in their heart. And I tell you all of that to tell you this. God has you living next door to someone for the exact same reason. God has you living in the apartment complex you live in, working at the Disney park you work at, leading the corporation you lead, getting on the Zoom calls with those same people you're on Zoom calls with day after day, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, that isn't by accident. God has positioned you for someone in your life to come to know him. So I'm gonna close with a question for reflection. I want you to think about this, to, to actually take a moment to think Who is that for me? Who is the Sosthenes or Crispus in my life? What's their name? You think, man, who, who, which, which neighbor, which, which guy that I coach with or play on the softball team with, which person that always comes up to me at the gym? Like, why am I in this person's life? And who is it that God is calling me to be an ambassador to the gospel so that they too can be redeemed, enriched, equipped, and sustained by the goodness of the God who came to us in the person of Jesus. Who is that for you? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God, we don't know the exact ins and outs, the exact ways that you're going to use our church in this community, but we know you're gonna be faithful to do it. And that you're going to sustain the work through people with names like Greg, Vicky, Rosa, John, Neil. Men and women who have given themselves to the work, much like Paul or Sosthenes or Crispus did, who said, God, use us, use me to let the roots of the gospel go down in the soil of Horizon West, in the hearts of people. And God, would you unleash in us a movement that all of our Crispuses, all of our Sosthenes living in Horizon West 
might come to know you and call you their Lord and Savior because you are good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.